Section 34 of The American Egypt. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Rosehip. The American Egypt by Channing Arnold and Frederick J. Tabor Frost. Section 34. Flora and Fauna, Part 2. The Jigger, or Chigo, to give it the more correct native name, from which the first is a corruption, that detestable flea which burrows beneath the toenails and there lays its eggs, is common in Yucatan, especially on the east coast. It closely resembles the common flea in form, though it is much smaller. The sandal-shod natives are particularly liable to it, and of the Mexican troops at Chan Santa Cruz, a large percentage have one or two toes missing. In the south of the peninsula, you find that curious insect, the praying mantis, so-called in allusion to the attitude of its forelegs, which are held as our hands in prayer. These creatures wage remorseless war on one another and fight until the stronger literally pulls its foe's head off. This was actually witnessed by a friend of ours. That detestable insect, the centipede, is common in Yucatan, and not the harmless type to which one is accustomed in an English garden, but a formidable creature half a foot or more long. You find the Scolopendra castaniceps of a greenish colour, with a chestnut-tinted head, averaging six inches, and in the south the giant centipede, Scolopendra gigas, which is sometimes a foot long. Humboldt, in his personal narrative, says that he saw Indian children pull centipedes out of the ground and eat them, but the present-day Indians fear and avoid them as much as they do a scorpion. There is no doubt that their bite is very poisonous, and even often dangerous. The ants of Yucatan are wonderful, except when you have the misfortune to get them on you, when you forget to admire them in the torrents of blasphemy which their bites evoke. We came across four types, a pitch-black small tree ant, which appeared to live principally beneath the shelter of the bark of rotting trees, a big yellow fellow, often nearly an inch long, a large black ant, and a smaller reddish black ant. The third kind, a broad mandibled digging ant, called by the Indians Tse, infests the woods of Yucatan to an almost incredible degree, honeycombing the roadways to such an extent in some places that you sink almost to your knee in the loose red earth. Sometimes in the woods you will come across patches an acre or two in extent of loosened earth, dotted here and there with hillocks thrown up by these tiny excavators. They carry out their operations, too, among the ruins, but their work is distinctly unscientific, and many interesting memorials of the ancient Mayans have been destroyed by these insect vandals. More than this, they actually make paths through the woods. 
as you follow an indian trail you will of a sudden come to a place where it is crossed by quite a distinct path traceable for yards sometimes you actually find them travelling on these paths one evening in the woods near oki we came across a procession of ants or to write correctly two processions of ants for there was one set going in follow my leader style across the road one way and another set going the other way it was interesting to see that the insects never stepped out of the ranks one set were carrying each a piece of leaf which they held up over them it was about half an inch square like a huge sail some of them were literally staggering under the weight of the pieces of leaf but they never dropped them the other set were returning into the wood empty-handed to get fresh loads for a long time we watched these ordered ranks and we had the curiosity to follow them into the wood where we found them actually at work on a leafy shrub chewing off the pieces and climbing down with them and then without the least confusion taking their places in the marching line of the loaded party it is possible that these ants are to be identified with those called by henry walter bates naturalist on the amazons 1863 the umbrella ant of brazil which he says thatches its large mansion sometimes forty yards in circumference and two feet high with circles of leaf cut with accurate precision from coffee and orange trees which they oftentimes strip bare to carry out their bold architectural design it seemed to us however more likely that as was observed by thomas belt naturalist in nicaragua eighteen seventy four the leaves are gathered as provisions and are stored till their decay generates a fungus upon which the ant feeds the cockroaches of yucatan are truly tropical and grow to a great length we saw some between two and three inches long the little village stores throughout yucatan are infested with these pests and one day when purchasing some bananas on the storekeeper lifting up the lid of the wooden bin in which the fruit was kept it sounds incredible but one could scarcely see the fruit such hundreds of them filled the bin in the ruins you constantly find hornets nests hanging against the walls almost like swallows nests and if they happen to be at home and do set about you the only thing is to run yucatan is very rich in dragonflies they seem of almost all colours those we noticed most were one of electric blue one of grass green and one apparently rare almost red at nights the trees are alight with fireflies as we sat in the clearing in our forest home on cozumel it looked as if armies of indians with lanterns were concentrating on us from all points of the belt of dark woodland the light these insects give is undoubtedly strong though we had not the luck to see as did stevens at palenque lightning bugs 
four of which together threw a brilliant light for several yards around, and by the light of a single one we read distinctly the finely printed pages of an American newspaper. No account of a Yucatecan night would be complete without mentioning the wonderful chorus of crickets which sing from sunset until the eastern sky fades into the grey of dawn. It is literally a chorus, for there must be thousands of the insects contributing to the endless serenading of the lady crickets. An hour after the sun is up, and the dew has disappeared before the rapidly increasing heat of the wonderful tropic sunshine, the Yucatecan woodlands become beautiful with those most exquisite of all God's creatures, the butterflies. There was a great deal in Yucatan which was very disappointing. There was much which was actually heartbreaking, but however footsore, tired and hungry we were, we found it impossible not to momentarily forget our troubles in our admiration for these flying triumphs of heaven's paint-box. Alas, we are not possessed of any scientific knowledge, and all that this chapter attempts is to indicate the birds, beasts and fishes one sees in travelling through the peninsula, and thus we cannot give the scientific names for these marvellous insects. Perhaps it is as well, for it is really a kind of desecration to label some form of amber and blue with a hendecasyllabic name, the pronunciation of which can only be mastered after months of practice. Most beautiful of all was a monster of sky blue, all four wings framed with a delicate border of black. He must have measured five inches from wing point to wing point. Exquisite, too, were the striped butterflies, some striped scarlet and black, some white and black, some yellow and black. The daintiness of these combinations was past all description. The forest paths were bright, too, with wonders of yellow, amber and orange, sulphur-tinted and palest lemon. Huge butterflies fluttered before our horses. Such miracles of nature's painting as made the woodland seem a fairyland of colour. One of the commonest, it seems an insult to use the adjective it was so beautiful, of Yucatan's butterflies, was one with body and inner portions of the wings all black, and the outer parts a brilliant scarlet, a combination giving it as it flew the appearance of a daintily slender bobbin or reel of vermilion. And amid all this riot of colour were some quite as enchanting in the Quaker-like sobriety of their tints. One specially struck us, a triumph of silver greys and browns, a veritable incarnation of autumn. But enough. Neither glowing epithets, nor the dry-as-dust names given them by entomologists, can do justice to Yucatan's butterflies. You must go and see them for yourself to realise their beauty. One of the most startlingly beautiful birds in Yucatan is the cardinal bird, a large finch of a gorgeous red even to its beak, its face alone being black around the base of the bill and on the upper throat. 
but the full glories of its scarlet coat are the prerogative of the male, for the female is a far duller colour. Species of the bird are common in the warmer parts of the States, where it is often known as the Virginia Nightingale, in allusion to its powers of song. The Yucatecan specimen, about a foot long, makes a wonderful spectacle as it flashes through the blaze of sunshine. But if Yucatan has to share her cardinal bird with the more southern states of America, she can claim to have all to herself, and the Central American countries neighbouring her, perhaps one of the most beautiful birds in the world, the Meliagris oscillata, the oscillated turkey, so called in allusion to the ocelli, or eyes, much like those of a peacock, marking its plumage, which is of blue, brown, and gold. Its bare head is a deep blue studded with caruncles of an orange colour, and it has no ugly dewlap as has the common turkey, than which it is much smaller. This wonderful bird is fairly common in Yucatan, but is very shy and keeps to the woods. A bird far more common, and a vivid contrast in the sobriety of its feathering to this glorious fowl, is a species of guan, or Talus vetula macali, known in Spanish America as the chacalaca, in allusion to its astoundingly loud cry. They are about the size of a hen pheasant, the wings and body of a brown shading to a greeny-gray, with a lighter grey-brown belly. They may be said to be the great game-birds of Yucatan, as far as eating goes, and their flesh tastes much like pheasant. They are pretty birds until they speak, and one often sees them tame in the Indian villages. Of the same family of gallinaceous birds, Crackidae, to which the Chakalaka belongs, the Curaçaos and Hokos found in Yucatan are members. Both the red Curaçao and the globos Curaçao are fairly common. The natives call them Kambul. Another type of Curaçao is the latter-mentioned Hoko, a name said to be a native word in Guiana. This bird we shot on the east coast. It is a magnificent creature, as big as a large turkey, feathered in gold and brown, its head crested. Partridge and quail are said to be plentiful, but we did not come across them. One of the commonest, yet one of the prettiest birds in the peninsula, is a jay, Cyanocita yucatanica, which goes about in small flocks. They are about the size of a large blackbird, but with a longer tail. The head and the belly are black, and the back, wings, and tail are of a beautiful electric blue. The legs are yellow, and, like the English blackbird, the male has a yellow beak and the female a black one. The Mayans call them chel, and are always keen to kill them, for they are very destructive to the crops. But nothing could well exceed the beauty of a dozen of them darting from treetop to treetop in the early morning sunshine. Of hawks, there are many species. One large black one found in Cozumel is rare, but a common one which we specially noticed in that island is a beautifully marked bird of black and brown, 
which is said to belong to the same division of hawks as the hobby falcon of Europe. It is about a foot long, with a fairly long tail. The curious point about it was its astounding boldness. It would sit on a tree a few yards ahead of you, and when you came up and stood beneath it, refused to be scared away. On the eastern beach of Cozumel, one of these birds settled on a fallen tree near us, and refused to go, although, of course, without any desire to actually hurt it, we pelted it with small pebbles. This hawk has a curiously insistent and weirdly plaintive cry, with which the woods of Cozumel echo all day. We never saw it actually strike at small birds, and certainly its warning scream was calculated to give the most careless finch a good chance of escape. Of owls, there was one of the large wood variety, and there are said to be two peculiar to the country, neither of them much more than six inches long, of a generally tawny colour and lighter on the bellies. In parrots, Yucatan is rich, the finest being the white-crowned parrot, its plumage being green, blue, red, white and yellow. The red and blue macaw is known, though rare, but the woods are everywhere full of the green parrot or parakeet, dainty little creatures who usually go about in pairs, but sometimes are seen flocking and are forever screaming and chattering as they fly. You see the common American kingfisher, some twelve inches long, with plumage of blue, white, spotted and barred, the head crested, sitting sometimes above the cenotes. Of woodpeckers there are several varieties, the commonest appearing to be the red-headed or crested woodpecker. If you have luck, we did not have it. You can see in the Yucatecan woodland the wonderful Trogon resplendens, scientifically associated with the family of woodpeckers. There are some fifty species of trogons, but the most remarkable is the Yucatecan one, the Quetzal, a sacred bird in Central America, the plumage of which is a gorgeous golden green, its tail being in the male nearly three feet long, though the bird is about the size of a pigeon. This trogon, in the sheen of its plumage, almost rivals the beauty of the hummingbirds. Of the latter, there are many to be seen in Yucatan, but it really needs a poet to describe these winged jewels of the woodland. As we sat on the veranda at Chichen, prosaically eating breakfast, amid the pink San Diego blossoms which clustered round the house, was a perpetual whir of pinions of pale green melting to black by bronze and russet passages. One really is obliged to fall back upon quotation in speaking of these tiny creatures, which seem veritably plumaged from rainbows. We have spoken of the sleek little peaches which chattered in the trees of the plaza at Veracruz. There were any number of these in Yucatan, and a much larger blackbird, probably akin, infesting gardens and distinguished by the most liquid and mellifluous note it is possible to imagine. Swallows, too, though they seemed somewhat larger than the ordinary swallow, 
we're common everywhere, while a bird which we think belonged to the cuckoo family often startled us when at work on the ruins by a reiterated whistle which sounded like mocking laughter dying away in a choking spasm of mirth. The coasts of the peninsula are rich with sea-fowl, so many and so varied that it would need a skilled ornithologist and many pages to chronicle them accurately. There are duck of all kinds, mallard, teal, widgeon, wild geese, bitterns, herons, snipe, sandpipers, plovers, curlews, and gulls galore. The bays and inlets are beautified by the stately ibis, snowy white or slate grey. Flamingos are rarer, and indeed a flamingo standing is not an object of beauty, for he is altogether too long in the legs. Moreover, his beautiful pink plumage is seen at its best when he is in flight. As hideous as they are common are the brown pelicans. In their way they are as detestable as the zopilotes, which we were at pains to describe in our first chapter, though their habits are not so filthy. We really have no space to say much of the fishes. Pelicans naturally suggest fishiness. But we ought to say that the brightest jewel in the fishy crown of the Gulf of Mexico, at least from the gastronomic point of view, is that fish which rejoices in the name of Red Snapper. At all times and in all places you can get it. It appears to have no close season, and whether in the smart restaurants of Mexico or Merida, or in the little coast cabins of the fishing Indians, you eat it, or try to, till nauseated. The Indians are clever fishermen, and catch with both hook and net, but their most picturesque method is spearing. They paddle their dugout into shallow waters, stand on the end of the canoe, and thrust a spear at the fish. This spear has a detachable point to which a cord is fastened. They scarcely ever miss, and the struggling prey is hauled in by the string. We saw a man land half a dozen big fish in little more than as many minutes. The natives of Chiapas shoot the fish from the end of the canoe with bow and arrow. If a hundred people who have not travelled, or whose travels have been confined to the typical Rhine, Switzerland and Riviera tours of modern life, were asked what was their idea of a primeval forest in the tropics, 80% at least would declare for a woodland notable for giant trees, beside which the forests of civilised countries would seem mere park enclosures. Nothing could be further from the truth. The average primeval forest in the tropics, of which the boundless woodlands of eastern Yucatan are a fair example, are disappointing in the extreme from the very fact that, though dense to a degree that is heartbreaking, you never see really noble trees. One of the largest trees in Yucatan is the sapota, Acras sapota. This is an evergreen with thick shiny leaves, and is said to sometimes reach a height of a hundred feet, but we cannot say that we ever saw one so high. 
it is from the sapota that there is obtained the chicle the milky juice of the tree which forms the basis of all american chewing gums the chicleros as the cutters are called climb the tree cut broad arrow-shaped grooves through the bark pointing groundward the shaft of the arrows making a drainage groove down the full length of the tree a vessel being placed at the foot under this groove to catch the sap but the mayons do not care about chicle they like the sapota because it produces a fruit of which they are passionately fond and no wonder for it is really very pleasant eating about the size of a small apple and the colour of a medlar the inside is a reddish-brown pulp which has a delicious flavour the woods of yucatan are full of acacias of many species among them the logwood hematoxylin campechianum mahogany is found and is especially common in the south where it is much used by the indians for canoes the whole trunk being hollowed out the leafiest tree in the country is the ceiba bombax ceiba called by the mayans yashi or yastsi this noble tree often attains a considerable height gives an extraordinary shade and has ever been held as sacred by the mayans it figures in their mythology their ancestors believed that there were seven heavens each having a hole in the centre and each immediately above the other a seba was believed to stand in the centre of the earth and its branches grew through the successive holes in the seven heavens until the leaves reached the highest by the branches of the tree the dead climbed through the series of heavens until they reached the utmost mayan paradise there is a tradition that a seba grew in valladolid it was cut down but sprouted again having this time four boughs each directed to a cardinal point a hawk had its home on the highest branch and the bird was considered to be the spirit of the tree its cry of suki suki it is said having given the ancient indian town zaki on the site of which Valladolid was built its name. There is another tree which rivals the ceiba in shadiness, but this you only see on the haciendas which have been long in cultivation. It is a laurel introduced into the peninsula from Cuba some forty years ago by a Spaniard named Severa. His grandson, appropriately enough, showed us at Yachi, near Merida, the finest examples we saw laurels so large and leafy as to rival in size and shade our forest beech they were probably the portugal laurel cerasus lusitanica or ficus laurifolia a fairly large tree is the maimi lucuma mamosa belonging to the same family as the sapota and bearing a fruit almost rivalling that of the latter in popularity among the Indians. It is egg-shaped, with a rough brown skin, and inside is a pinky pulp tasting like quince marmalade with a distinct flavour of almond paste about it. 
by a beneficent dispensation of providence in a country where grass cannot grow there does grow a tree the ramon alicastrum brownie called by the mayons os upon which yucatecan horses thrive it is certainly very comforting when you camp for the night in the forest to be able to send the indians to cut an armful of the branches thus generously provided by nature's baiting stable and to hear your cattle contentedly munching it while you sup the ramon grows fifty to sixty feet high and has an abundance of evergreen leaves which form the fodder the fruit of the ramon is eaten boiled either alone or mixed with honey or indian corn and the milky juice is used medicinally in cases of asthma tree palms grow everywhere in the woods some of them reaching eighty feet the more common kinds notably the sabal mexicana called by the mayans ran are used to thatch the indian huts there are coconut palms in plenty particularly on the islands from the lignum vitae the indians make bows from a small tree pretium heptaphyllum the ancient mayans obtained the incense used in their temples which they called pom and which the mexicans call copal in fruit trees yucatan is fairly rich she has the sweet and sour orange in plenty and the lemon and lime the latter of which often grows wild in the woods bananas and plantains are everywhere a small variety of the former the banana apple musa paradisiaca has a flavor finer than the canary banana then there is the anona squamosa or custard apple the anona muricata or guanabana the aguacate alligator pear persia gratissima the calmita and the papay carica papaya called by the mayans put of which the fruit is pear-shaped about a foot long of an orange salmon colour and deliciously juicy the finest pineapples in the whole of the mexican republic are said to be those grown in cozumel and the cultivation of cocoa which grows wild throughout yucatan is being seriously taken up there are one or two types of plums cultivated by the mayans and figs tamarinds and mangoes are grown camote a kind of sweet potato and tomatoes are produced usually in the milpas with the maize tobacco sugar-cane and cotton are agricultural products to which increasing attention is being given many kinds of gourds are grown by the mayans chief among these is the calabash tree crescentia cugetti the gourd of which is universally used in yucatan in its entirety as a drinking bottle the indians carrying them slung over their backs full of water and halved as drinking cups or dippers and is often elaborately carved or painted the spanish name for these drinking gourds is jicaras the mayans calling them lutz the flowers of yucatan are disappointing they suffer as do the larger plants from the dryness of the soil due to the fact that 
heavy as the rains are when they come, they rapidly drain away through the porous limestone. In the gardens of cities and villages you see roses, the gorgeous scarlet trumpet-shaped tulipans, magnolias, vari-coloured irises, clematis, and other bright-tinted creepers, red and yellow foxglove-like flowers, and over all and everywhere convolvuluses, white, purple, and blue. Some of these latter are cultivated by the Mayans in the fields, as for instance a small white one which they call Ktaventon, from the honey collected from which the Indians distill an alcoholic drink which has a soft aromatic smell of the flower, and the intoxicating effect of which, it is enough to make the mouth of the dipsomaniac water, lasts for three days and leaves no headache behind it. The wild flowers are for the most part small. Amid the ruined cities you almost always find quantities of the small yellow flower, called by the Mayans Hanlo, of the Tecoma stands, a shrubby climber. The woodland paths everywhere are bright with the jasmine-like amapola, while the roadsides are made more picturesque by a climber bearing white sweet-smelling flowers. At Chichen there was much salvia cochinea, a small brilliant scarlet-flowered shrub called by the natives zikhin. Here again we saw Heliotropium parviflorum, which the Indians call Nahiaks. In the woods you see many orchids growing like mistletoe on the trees. Among the genera met with, the Oncidium and the Epidendrum are the commonest, and of these the species Schomburkia tibicina and the Epidendrum bicorontum are those oftenest found. We saw very few wild ferns. Here and there are beautiful flowering cactuses. End of section 34 Recorded by Rosehip End of The American Egypt A Record of Travel in Yucatan by Channing Arnold and Frederick J. Tabor Frost